following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Hey, just so you know, uh, my wife texted me after first service. She's sick at home. She texted me, she watched online, and she said, that was the shortest sermon you've ever preached. Merry Christmas. All right? Okay? Uh, Let's get to work, all right? Uh, I'm going to make this one extra long. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you grab them and open them up to Hebrews chapter 1? Hebrews. No more Ephesians, y'all. Hebrews chapter 1 is where we're going to be. If you uh, need a Bible, there are hardback black Bibles under every chair. Hebrews 1 is on page 1001 in those Bibles. If you're online with us, hey, we love you. Hope you're doing well. Click that Bible tab, open a phone or a tablet. Hebrews 1. Now you might be thinking, Hebrews, I thought it was Christmas time. Right, we got some candles and some trees. There's an owl hidden on stage. Like, it's just, what's going on here? You know, uh, uh, Hebrews. You you would be incorrect. Okay, Hebrews one is an actual Christmas passage that you may not be familiar with, but you need to be. Uh, but just to make you feel more comfortable, I'm going to read to you a more familiar Christmas passage from Matthew chapter one. I'll put this up on the screens. Matthew one says this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this is a famous passage, a Christmas passage, and it's the launching point for the next three weeks. What we're going to do for our Christmas kind of Advent season together is three sermons on God with and us. I'm going to take each one of those words and and develop out for you um, what I think are really keystone theologies around the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, so uh, we call this theologically Christology. It's the study of Christ. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at each one of those words and we're going to tackle a, a, a deep, important doctrine of Christology in this series. So today we are going to tackle God and we're going to look at the doctrine of Christ's divinity. The divinity of Christ. Next week, we're going to take these a little bit out of order. Next week, we will talk about us, us, um, God with us, okay? And we're going to look at the doctrine of Christ's humanity. And then finally, on Christmas Eve, we'll deal with with, with. And that's the doctrine of Christ's incarnation, okay? That's the plan. So it's a little out of order, but this series is Emmanuel, God us with, okay? That's what we're going at. We're going at, Okay. Now, the reason why I've chosen these three kind of doctrines this Christmas uh, is that while many of you might be familiar with these doctrines, you might know about these doctrines, uh, I'm guessing that not everybody really understands how important these doctrines are, okay? Or maybe you, maybe you think they're important, but you're not sure why they're important. Well, we're going to talk about that. Uh, additionally, we have a number of newer Christians in our church. Over the last few months, like I've said before, this isn't your new church. Like this is your this is your first church. This might be your first Christmas really wrestling with and dealing with Christ as the center of that. And doctrinally, I don't want you to be unaware of who Jesus is, okay? And so you might not even know these doctrines, and I hope to expose you to them, because the vision of Fathom Church, and I say this often, we, we want to see you go deeper. We want to see every person go deeper in their relationship with God, and, and we don't simply want you to have this, like, feely, ooey-gooey experience with Jesus. Like, I want you to have all the feels, okay? 
But, but I don't want you to simply have that. I actually want to see you submit all of you to all that he is. And there are depths to be found in these doctrines. So we're going to get to know Jesus better over the next three weeks. And we're going to start today in Hebrews 1. So if you've got your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to jump in at verse 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, which immediately brings to mind two things, right? A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, right? So all the nerds gave me an amen, okay? Uh, The other place where my mind goes is this, a long, long time ago, I can still, right? So all my burnt out hippies feel me on this one, right? Okay, all right, we don't have time for this, but that's that's where my brain goes, okay? Long ago, at many times, And in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay, let's pause here. What the writer of Hebrews is referring to here is the Old Testament. God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. And I'm doing some thinking this week, and I'm trying to think through all the ways that God spoke in the Old Testament And this is an exhaustive list, but let me just give you a few that came to mind. God spoke and revealed himself to people in visions and dreams in the Old Testament. He delivered messages through angels. He actually spoke at times in audible voices. He wrote on walls. Remember that story from Daniel, that creepy story, disembodied hand writing on the wall? That'll freak you out, right? If God spoke to you with that. He appears in burning bushes. He inspired worship songs. So the Psalms is a worship book that God inspired for us, okay? He put, he put his messages in the mouth of donkeys. Remember that weird story? Livestock, that's weird, okay, right? He even inspired an erotic book of poetry. We call it the Song of Solomon. And that's the point that the writer is making, okay? That long ago, in many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, to the saints of the Old Testament. That's where he's at, okay? Now, verse two, he turns the page. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, by his son. Now, uh, who's got their Greek New Testament opening open right now reading this? Any CCU student have a Greek with them today? No? You're not? I, I surely expected Bowden to have one. <laughs> I forgot. Okay, good, man, yeah. If you were reading in the Greek, which I was not, just so you know, I'm reading in the English, okay? But if you were reading in the Greek, you would read it more literally translated this. He has spoken to us in son. He has spoken to us in son. Now that don't translate good in English, do it. No, no, it don't, okay? But this is exactly what he's saying. He has spoken to us in son. And, and this is what the writer's doing here. He's saying that the prophets, they, 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 they had given the word of God. But, but in the son, in Jesus, we find the actual word of God. He is the embodied word of God. We find this in multiple places in the New Testament, specifically John chapter one, verse one. It says that in the beginning was the word. And John is referring to Jesus, okay? So God didn't just speak words through his son. Jesus actually is the word. His son is 
the message, okay? He himself is the embodied message from God the Father. Now, this is where we get to why I chose Hebrews 1 for a Christmas text, because our interpretation of who the Son of God is will drastically affect how we see who God is and how we see who we are. Okay, so A.W. Tozer, we quote this all the time. This is a great quote. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's the most important thing. So when you think about God, when you think about Jesus Christ, what comes to mind? Because you cannot rightly follow God if you don't rightly think about God. You can't rightly follow somebody who you don't rightly know about. So let me just, I was thinking about this week again, different ways that people view Jesus, different ways that people see who Jesus is. And I thought of a few, there's undoubtedly more. Uh, Some people, just to stay on the Star Wars theme, okay, uh, some people think about Jesus more like he's a force ghost. Remember that? From the, like, original, the good Star Wars? I guess there's ghosts in all of them, but whatever, okay? But, like, some people think that, like, Jesus is like that. Like, he's just sort of out there, like, ghosting at some level. Like, he's in charge of some stuff, maybe. But he doesn't really make a difference. Just kind of, like, shows up, and he's, like, the light side, and there's probably a dark side, and we'll just kind of see how this all plays out and who's going to win in the end because the emperor's coming back again, again, and it's like, come on now. Uh, The force ghost can't really help you. Right? Like he's not really substantive. He might show up and give you advice or whatever, but he's not really that practical. Some people think of Jesus this way. Just like the spirit ghost thing. That's interesting, but isn't really helpful. Uh, other people think of Jesus maybe like, um, like a police officer, like a cop, or, or maybe like a referee at some level. So like, uh, like Jesus is, is just waiting around the corner with his lights off. Right, And he's got his speed gun and he's got to make his quota because it's the end of the month. And so he's just waiting for you to screw up and he's going to gun you down and it's a trap, right? Like that's what he's doing. Or, 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 or he's like a referee, you know, like just waiting for you to mess up so that he can blow his whistle and throw his flag like date night on Saturday night. He's like, illegal use of the hands, all right? <laughs> 15, 15 yard penalty towards hell, right? Like, and people think of him like this. Like he's just looking at every little thing that you do and he's just waiting for you to mess up so that he can lay down the hammer. People think of Jesus like that. Uh, some people think of Jesus, like believe in like boyfriend Jesus, like prom, Jesus, prom date Jesus. Uh, let me explain this, okay? A lot of people love Jesus and have a lot of emotion for him, but they think of him like, like a blonde Swedish guy right? Like perfect, like hair, no split ends, right? He's wearing like a, like a Miss America sash and a bathrobe and right. He doesn't even walk. He just kind of floats and like levitates around. And, and I'm, I'm making light of this, but, but listen, there's a lot of people who show up in church every week and they just want to slow dance with Jesus. Just want to sing some songs to Jesus. They just want to feel all the feels about Jesus. And he's like their boyfriend, But when you don't have those feelings about Jesus, then the trouble arises. Like what happens when those feelings wane, right? Like maybe there's something wrong between the two of you, right? Maybe he's mad at you or or worse, maybe he's seeing someone else. 
See, boyfriend Jesus will let you down. And then finally, uh, for some, and I think this one might be the most popular version of Jesus culturally, even within the church, uh, some people believe in Siri Jesus. Or if you're a non-iPhone user, Alexa Jesus, okay? The lesser known Jesus. But Alexa Jesus, Siri Jesus. Uh, right, like, I mean, think about it this way. Like when you want something, you just have to say, hey, Jesus. And you just wait for that bing, right? Like... You just got to wait for, hey, Jesus, right? And, and listen, Siri is brilliant until it's not, right? Because she ain't right most of the time. Am I right? Like, if you've got an iPhone, you know how this works, right? Siri, get me directions to Chipotle. Working on it. Still working. I'm sorry, something went wrong, right? Like, that's... <laughs> Is that what not, I mean, it's like, how do I get the goodness of Chipotle in me? Siri, help me with this, right? But she's not always helpful. Siri, how old is Liam Neeson? Here's what I found on the web for you about that. Oh, so you're saying I should have just Googled that. Okay, thank you, Siri. I appreciate that, right? Like, Siri, call my wife. That's beyond my ability at this moment. Like, okay, you know, you're a phone, a thousand dollar phone. You should be able to do the thing that phones do. But listen, that's, that's sometimes how we treat Jesus, Like, we think that Jesus works, that if we just pray the right prayer and we just say it the right way and maybe enunciate the right, hey, Jesus, if if we just get it right, then he's going to be like Siri and he's going to do what we ask him to do. And then when he doesn't work out the way that we want, it's like, Jesus, what good are you? You're not doing what I think you should do. But I'm just going to present to you that none of these Jesuses are accurate. None of these views of Jesus are actually what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he talks about the Son of God. So what, who is this Jesus? Well, we're going to go into that, verse 2. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So that's the first thing that the writer says about Christ's divinity, he, he, he is going to say that Jesus is the heir. Now, the heir uh, is the person who is going to get everything, going to inherit everything. It's, everything is coming to the heir. They're all going to inherit it one day. And so I, I, I've told you about my first job that I worked when I was 14. I worked at McDonald's, okay? I've told you about this, uh, 14 years old, right on the border of child, child labor laws, that's what 14-year-olds do, okay? And there's two places in Colorado Springs at the time who would hire 14-year-olds that I was aware of. It was McDonald's and Taco Bell. That was, those were my two options, and I've told you McDonald's was close enough for me to rollerblade too. So, I mean, picture 14-year-old Chris in a McDonald's uniform rollerblading to work, okay? Rollerblading to McDonald's. That's, that'll stick, okay? That'll stick. Guys, this was the 1900s, Okay. So don't cast me in no shade on this one, okay? That was what was going on. Um, but I got this job at McDonald's for the summer. Uh, I was 14. Now, the owner of that McDonald's, you know, their franchise, so there's this owner of this McDonald's. Uh, he has a daughter who is the same age as I was. I was actually in some classes with me in my middle school, and she got a summer job there as well. And just let me tell you, she was not doing the same job that I was doing all summer at McDonald's, okay? Here's what I had to do. I had to clean the bathrooms. And if there's anything worse than walking into a McDonald's, 
It's walking into a McDonald's bathroom. It just is, okay? Uh, I had to do that. I had another job. I had to crawl into the play place tubes uh, with a spray bottle and rag to clean the boogers off the inside of the tube. It'll make you rethink your parenting, guys. It will make you rethink a lot of things, okay? Uh, I even, I've told you this, I even had to clean the debris out of the, the settled debris out of the ball pit. And so I once found some cash, so that was awesome. Uh, but uh, I also once found a rolled up dirty diaper at the bottom of the ball pit. Okay, but then this girl, the heir, uh, uh, she, she was the self-designated McFlurry maker all summer. All this girl wanted to do was ice cream, y'all. Like, that's all she wanted to do. And she would then order me around. She'd go, hey, Chris, go clean that up. Right? Hey, hey, Chris, why don't you wipe down all the tables in the dining room? Hey, Chris, why don't you get your rag and get up into the, the, the tubes, clean the booger wall, okay? I, I, I'm not still bitter about this, okay? I've gotten over this through some counseling and such. But, but listen, I'm, I'm working hard. I am hustling for my $5.15 an hour wage. I am hustling hard. And you know, all the while, this whole McKingdom is going to be given to this girl. That's what the writer of Hebrews just said. All the prophets, all the messengers of the Old Testament, all the saints of old, they were just $5 wage employees. They were servants. But Jesus is the one who this was all prepared for. He's the heir. The prophets pointed to something and Jesus is the one who they were pointing to. He's the point. Jesus has always been the point. So he says he's the heir, and then verse two keeps going. He's appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, if we're honest, we can be real about this, that whole heir stuff doesn't necessarily point to the fact that Jesus is divine. Right? Like maybe he's just like a demigod. Like, he's the heir. He's like a baby God sort of thing. Like, he's little baby Jesus, you know, wrapped in his little swaddling claws. Like, like he's just a baby version of God. He may not be divine, all right? But then the writer of Hebrews says, the son was a part of creation. The son was a part of creation. It's my first major point about Christ's divinity. Jesus is creator. He's the creator. Now, here's why that's tricky. Because I thought he was born on December 25th, year zero. Right? Like, but, but you're saying that he is part of creation? So how does this work? And listen, this is, if, if it was isolated, we might think, hey, some heresy. Great, okay? But it's not isolated. It's not isolated, okay? Genesis 1, 26, the Bible builds this out. Then God said... Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Now, I don't know how much English you've taken, but those pronouns are plural. You don't need to be an English teacher to know that our, us, like us let us make man in our image, that that's plural. Now, some theologians will say that that's not pointing to the Holy Spirit and the Son and the, the Father, the Trinity. It's that some, some theologians will say that's not what this text is pointing to. In fact, it's pointing to some sort of divine counsel. 
That's, that's how some theologians will, will handle Genesis, that it's like a divine council, okay? That like, I don't know, God and like some mystical angel creatures or something are like in a council and they're creating in their image. But listen, that's even weirder to me. That's even weirder to me. Plus, that's nowhere else in the text. So you want to talk heresy. I don't know exactly, but that doesn't really fit. What I think is happening in Genesis 1 is the us. Let us make man in our image is the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Son of God was a part of creation. Back to John 1. We've already talked about this, but John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, but then it goes on. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So John is calling Jesus the word. Now, this is hugely important. If you were reading Greek, which we've already assessed that Bowdoin is not, okay? But if you were reading Greek, you would see the word for word is logos. It's logos. It's not logos, okay? Just in Greek, all the O's are O's, okay? Logos. There, that just made you smarter, okay? Logos. The word logos in the Greek shows up for the first time in any historical record 600 years before Christ. So in Greek writings that we had in 600 BC, we found the word logos, and logos to the Greek philosopher meant uh, a designation for uh, a power, a force, or a person uh, who held the divine reason or plan which coordinates the changing universe. That sounds philosophical, right? What John is saying here is that Jesus is the divine reason coordinating all of reality, the logos. But then the Greek, if you were to continue in this passage, the Greek word for God in this text is theos. Theos, that's where we get words like theology, theos, okay? Um, and sometimes in the Bible, we'll find like the word for Lord, and it will refer to like the Lord, our Lord, and it will refer to, refer to like the Lord of a kingdom or like the Lord, the king, the Lord. Uh, but this term for God in the Greek is theos, and it almost always exclusively speaks of God the Father. But now, in our text of John chapter 1, the text says, in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with Theos, and the Logos was Theos. And then in verse 3 of John chapter 1, it says, And all things were made through him, the Logos, and without him was not anything made that was made. So I know this is big theology, but stay with me. Jesus was in the beginning. He was in the beginning. The son was in the beginning, creating, making all things, and he was with God, so he's differentiated. He's different from God the Father, from Theos. He was with Theos, and yet he was God. He was Theos. So this is why this is a difficult doctrine. Jesus is divine, sharing the same essence as both God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and yet he is different. He was with and he was. Christ is divine. One reason is because he's creator. Because he's creator. So yeah, baby Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. But the son, the second member of the Trinity, 
is preexistent. He's the divine creator. We having fun yet? Okay, good. I am. Back to Hebrews. Here we go. Hebrews, look at verse 3. Oh, they're not. Hebrews 3. That's an intern. He's out, okay? Hebrews 1, 3. He, the son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, there's a, there's a few things just kind of crammed into those, uh, those, those few words there. But first, I'll say it like this. It says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the radiance of the glory of the God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now, this is again pointing to Christ's divinity, but specifically, uh, the writer of Hebrews is pulling up the idea of a signet ring. Okay, a signet ring, which is something that we don't really use uh, today. But uh, in these days, instead of like a, uh, signing a document to make it official or like going and getting it stamped or something or, or you know, whatever that is, uh, they would heat up wax in these days. And then they would take out what was called a signet ring, which would have their mark or their crest or whatever embossed on it. Okay. And that signet ring, they would push that thing down into that malleable wax and it would make an exact imprint of that ring, which functioned as a legal signature. And so that's what the writer is saying. He's saying that Jesus is the exact imprint of the father. Everything that God is, Jesus is. When you see Jesus, you're you're seeing God. He is divine. He is radiance. You know that God in the Old Testament where you, you couldn't look at his face? You couldn't see him with your eyes unless you get like fried to a crisp or something? You couldn't see him? Now you can. He is the radiance of God. It's Jesus. And again, we've got multiple places in the Bible to give us evidence of this. John 10, verse 30. This is Jesus saying this. I and the Father are one. Okay, John chapter 14, verse 9. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? They were saying, show us the Father, Jesus. He's like, uh, hello. Right? Colossians 1, verse 15. Paul says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Listen, he is, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. But then the, back to Hebrews verse three, uh, verse, chapter one, verse three, it says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds, that's weird. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Power. So it's my second point about Christ's divinity today. He's creator, yes, and he's sustainer. He's literally holding all things together by the word of his power. I don't even know what that means. The word is using his word to hold all things, all things, like everything, all of the things together. So, so every atom in existence in our universe is being held together by the word of the sun's power. If he stopped, we'd all be gone. We'd all, I don't know, disintegrate. Atoms floating around uselessly. I don't know exactly what that is, but he is the one who sustains it all. Can you imagine this power? Not only does he have the power to create out of nothing, he also has the power to hold it all together. This is Jesus Christ who we're talking about. 
We're not talking about God the Father right now. We're talking about God the Son holding all things together. Can you imagine this power? You can't get your, I mean, it hurts my head to think about this. I, I, just this week, I'm thinking about, okay, just what kind of power did Jesus display on earth? Before he ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father, holding all things together by the word of his power. Even when he was on earth, he was powerful. He took the kid's sack lunch, multiplied it, handed it out, thousands of people fed. And he did that twice. Just in case you missed the first one, he did it to 4,000 and to 5,000. Okay, read the book, it's in there. He's at the wedding, everybody knows this one. He ran out of wine. So he goes and gets wash basins, like hand wash basins, like di- pump a dial soap right there, hand washing basin, turns that into wine, the good wine. He knows what's going on in people's heads. You ever, it's like a ni- ni- nice little party trick, but he knows like what's going on in people's head. He's like, he's like, hey, why, why did you think that? Why'd you think that? Think what? Oh, you know what you were thinking, right? Like that's Jesus, like scary stuff, okay? Casts out demons without a fight. We watch demon exorcism videos and stuff, and it's like, you know, they're sweating and working, and the priest comes in with water and a cross, and it's like somebody's crawling on the ceiling and foaming at the mouth, and it's not, it's a battle, it's a true battle with Jesus. They, the demons are begging him to be merciful with them. He actually commands weather patterns. You remember this with the boat and the storm and the disciples, calms the seas, and then the disciples are like, what sort of man is this? Well, he's the divine. He's creator and sustainer of all things. But there's one more aspect of Christ's divinity in Hebrews chapter one that I want to point out. So we'll finish verse three. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature, upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, this is where, if this isn't amazing enough, it gets even more amazing because not only do we find in this text that Jesus is the creator and that he is the sustainer of all things, but we also find out that he had a fundamentally unique ministry than the others, than the prophets did, than the priests did, than the kings did, than even the other members of the Trinity have. His unique ministry. Let's see, the prophets gave instructions about what we needed to do to be reconciled to God. That's what we find in the Old Testament. Instructions that tell us, hey, you gotta kill this bird, split it in half, burn this grain, pour this offering, kill that blood, you know, throw it here, don't eat that, boil it. Like, there's all these instructions about what we need to do in order to get right with God. That's different than what Jesus did. On the other hand, Jesus shows up and he doesn't tell us what we need to do to be reconciled to God. He actually goes and does it on our behalf and we are a gifted reconciliation to God. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. what it says, namely, making purification for sins. Without the Son, the divine Son of God, we're still killing animals and sprinkling blood all over the place. But no longer. He was the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And then it says that he sat down, which we don't want to overlook. Jesus sat down. Now listen, you only sit down when you're done. 
sit down when you're done. You only sit down when there's nothing left to do. It was, by the way, prohibited for priests to ever sit down in the temple. Because there was always more to do. There was always another lamb or an ox or a bird, another sacrifice to be made. But Jesus, he sat down. He had made purification for sins. It was finished. May as well take a seat. My third point. Jesus is defined by being Savior. He's our Savior. Yes, he is creator. Yes, he is the almighty sustainer of all things, holding all things together. But he's also savior. Lord and savior. Prophet and priest. Okay, lion and lamb. Yes, he is powerful, but he is also personal. We have a Christ who is unlimited in his power and he's also our savior who tenderly loves us intimately. So y'all, this is the divinity of Christ, Christ's divinity. And this, this doctrine is so massively important. I mean, I can't overstate how important the divinity of Christ is because it shows us that Jesus is, yes, creator and sustainer and savior. But then the question is, okay, so this is a great doctrine. It's really interesting stuff, pastor, but, but, but why is this important for me? Well, I, I want to give us two words of application before I close out. Two words of application. And the first one is this. Some of you need to Submit. Some of you need to submit to this divine Christ. See, I've been in pastoral ministry since 2003. Uh, So I guess almost 20 years of doing pastoral work in churches. And I've been in so many different churches. And I've seen so very often that there are people in all churches all over the place who really, really, really want to follow Jesus. Like they really like him. They, they maybe even love him. Like maybe not as flippant as boyfriend Jesus version, but they just, they like, they like him. They love him. He, they would say he's my savior. Okay, like they would say these things, but in their life, they have no intention of submitting to him, of bowing the knee to him in obedience. And listen, it doesn't matter if you're brand new at this Jesus thing. Maybe this is your first Christmas as a Christian. Or, or really, if you've been at this thing for 10 or 20 or 30 years, hear me, if you believe that Jesus can be your savior, but you have no submission to him being the almighty Lord of your life, then you don't know who he is. Then you're misunderstanding his divinity. Listen, Jesus is God. All that crazy stuff that you read about in the Old Testament, smiting, hands writing on walls, plagues, that's the same God as we worship in the the manger. It's 
not two different gods. He is that God. Jesus is divine. He is the Lord. And if you do not submit to him, listen, he is not your Lord. Now, listen, I'm not saying, I don't want you to hear me saying that we are perfect in our obedience. I don't want you to hear me say that because, listen, if anybody of all people has personally put on display that there's a lot of work to do still in submitting to Jesus as Lord, it's me. God often, frequently, in many different ways in my life, sometimes rather forcefully, shows me that I, I have to get on my knees before him and submit to him as Lord because I'm not doing that in all areas of my life. So I'm not saying you're perfect in your submission, but my question is, do you have any desire to come under his lordship? Is there any desire for you? And you're, you don't need to tell me. Tell your, like, deal with yourself here. Do you have any desire at all to submit to Christ? Even if it's in its infancy stages, he's divine. And if there's no desire at all in your heart to submit to him, I'll just gently push and say, you might not be a Christian. I don't care what kind of feels you feel if you don't have any desire to submit your whole life to him. Careful. Some of you need to grow in your holy awe and fear of the power of Jesus, the Christ, the divine King, the Lord. He's creator, he's sustainer, and he calls you, he demands you submit all of you to all that he is. That's one word of application, submit. Heavy, I know, but that's one word. Others, though, I think have the opposite issue. When it comes to the idea of divine Jesus, you don't have any issue with seeing him as powerful. You don't have any issue with seeing him and maybe you're even a little bit afraid of him. Like in, you're a little fearful when you think about God the Father and maybe even God the Son, right? Because you just pictured him as just waiting to pounce on you anytime you do something wrong. Like you take that Old Testament God and you just think he's out to get me. It's cop Jesus, it's referee Jesus. He's just waiting to slam the gavel down and call his judgment and call me out on my sin every time I step out of line. And I just wanna offer to you that yes, Jesus calls you to obey and submit him, to let your life be transformed by him. But for what purpose? We already said it to make purification for your sins. So yes, he demands to be your Lord, but he also desires to be your savior. He is powerful and he is personal. And so my word of application for you is love. He calls you to submit to him but he calls you to love him. You need to be saved by him and grow in a love for him. So uh, John 3.16 is everybody's like favorite memorized passage. Like it's like the only passage that anybody knows and has memorized and I, go for it. Like 3.16, memorize that thing. I memorized it, okay? John 3.16, really awesome. John 3.17 is actually where the punch is packed 
in that verse. And so I want to read these real quick. John 3, 16 and 17 says this, for God so loved the world. That's talking about you. That's talking about me. That's talking about us people, the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's for God so loved the world, not to condemn, but to save. So what kind of divine God is Jesus? He loves, he gives, he serves, he saves. He does not condemn. We're gonna get into this more next week when we see the doctrine of Christ's humanity. But for today, listen, some of you need to grow in your submission to his divinity. You could get on your knees before the almighty creator and sustainer of all things. And others need to grow in your love for a divine savior who loves you. Because he's both. He's divine. So all those caricatures of Jesus, any other one that you might come up with, y'all, they're wrong. He's Emmanuel. God with us creator, sustainer, savior. He names the stars. He holds the planets. He created the galaxies. He can calm storms. He he, he casts out the demons. He knows your very thoughts. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is our Jesus. And he loves you. He's pursuing you calls to you. He whispers to you. He woos. You come. He knows your name. He purposes your days. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows when you come and when you go. And he demands your submission. And he delights in your affection. Listen, some of you are in desperate need with an encounter with this Jesus, this Christmas. The divine Jesus, this Christmas. So that's what's on the table. That's what all this stuff is all about. That's what's on the table. Submit to him, love him, Emmanuel. God us with. Let's pray. And Lord, we bless you. What a gift it is to read these words from the writer of Hebrews. What a great gift it is to to have the clarity. I mean, as clearly as I think you can paint the picture that, that Jesus, your son, the second person of the Trinity is God. This is a difficult doctrine to get our minds around and yet it is so foundational in how we understand him. And so God, I would just be remiss if I didn't Recognize that there are some in this room, Father, today who their application point is, I've got to submit more of me to him. Gosh, maybe I got nothing submitted to him. 
Maybe I'm all word. Maybe I'm a Christian on Sundays only and it's by word, but I've never actually put my life in his hands. I pray, Father, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, not the power of preaching, the power of the Spirit, that you would convict hearts and that some might bow the knee to you in submission. That they would submit all that they are to all that you are. But Lord, there are others, I would guess, and they've never really... They've never really accepted you as their savior. They might know about you, but they don't know you. They might even know some doctrine, but they, but they are not divinely known. So, so Lord, would you save? Would you be savior? Would you play that card today in some lives? Lord, all they have to say is, God, I want you as savior. Jesus, I want you as savior. Jesus, I want you as Savior. Jesus, I want you as Lord. I submit to you. I love you. And it begins that relationship. Thank you, Father, for this, this deep picture of who Jesus is. I pray, Lord, that it would only grow our hearts, that as we, as, uh, what we think about you this Christmas season would enlarge and it would become more and more an imprint, just like a signet ring on our own lives. We love you, Father. We pray these things by the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. Amen.